Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak to Jeff Wilson, who is the CEO of Precipitate Gold. They're a TSX listed company with assets in the Dominican Republic, three to be precise. The first one, Juan de Herrera, is parked up for now. It's had some money spent on it, but it's got some licensing issues. We'll wait to see how that plays out. Quite an interesting target beside GoldQuest's um, property. Second is Pueblo Grande, where they have done a deal with Barrick. It's a $10 million six-year earning, uh, all things being equal, plus Barrick has handed over $1.4 million to the company. And their third project, Ponton, is just 40 kilometers to the east of uh, Pueblo Grande, similar sort of terrain. Early stages, not much money spent on it, and they're looking to develop that out and possibly replicate what they've done with Barrick and Pueblo Grande. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing, sir? Doing very well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, where are you today? I'm in Vancouver, BC, here in Canada. Very nice. Um, starting my day here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us, sir. Really appreciate it. What's the weather like there? It's been beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a little bit of rain here and there, typically overnight, but it's been uh, an unusually warm and sunny spring so far. So, yeah. uh, you know, while while we're all sort of um, you know contained within our homes, it's kind of nice to see the sun shining and to get some time uh, in and around the yard, I guess. So. Yeah, I know. It's the same here, actually. So it's it's really nice at the moment, but. This is a new story to us. You've not been on the show before. I always you know, like to get to know the people first before we kind of get into the, the weeds, as it were. So um, thanks for joining us. Um, can you give us a one-minute overview of the business um, first, and then we'll kind of get into it? Sure. So Precipitate is a uh, junior uh, gold exploration company uh, trading on the TSX Venture. We are really focused on the early stage or sort of the discovery stage of, of the business. Um, you know, our mandate has always been to go after uh, highly prospective ground in jurisdictions where we think there's, uh, you know, uh, fri- mining friendly jurisdictions uh, where there's good geology that uh, maybe for one reason or another has been under uh, underexplored. And so we, in 2012, we saw grand opportunity in the Dominican Republic on the back of a big discovery that was made there in 2012 by a company called GoldQuest, uh, who had a share price go from six cents to two dollars nearly overnight in 2012. And we staked a a significant amount of ground adjacent to that project at that time, Um, had various levels of success and still hold that ground now. Um, and since then have sort of developed uh, what we think is a very prospective portfolio of projects within the Dominican Republic. So it's a, it's a fairly uh, perhaps uh, little known or, or not highly active jurisdiction, uh, but great geology and uh, one of the biggest mining operations in the world, uh, operated by Barrick and, and Newmont in a joint uh, venture, is uh, hosted there in the Dominican Republic. Beautiful. So uh, we think it's a you know, it's got fantastic mineral endowment and lots of upside potential. So that's why we're there. Okay, that's 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 a great um, intro to the business. So, um, let me uh, start with why are you in the Dominican Republic? You know, people usually go to what they know, where they train, who they know. You've kind of said, uh, well, I assume it was a bit more than neurology when you um, looked at GoldQuest's um, uh, deal. Did, was it because you looked at their share price rocketed up and you thought, well, we, maybe we could replicate that by staking nearby. It's got to be more than neurology. Why are you in the Dominican Republic? Yeah, it is. And again, we, we're, we're not about being a real estate play here. So as much as I think there's some, some value in being uh, in the right neighborhood, so to speak, geologically, 
more importantly to us, rather than closeology, it has to has the right, have the right geology. And so when we looked at where GoldQuest uh, made the discovery and looked at some of the surrounding area, we recognized that it was the same geological terrain. Uh, the opportunity that arose there was in any other jurisdiction, um, a company like GoldQuest prior to making that announcement likely would have blanket staked as far as the eye could see to protect themselves so that they had every other piece of perspective ground. Um, in the Dominican Republic, we, uh, we recognize that there was a policy whereby any one company can only hold up to 30,000 hectares. And so GoldQuest at the time of their discovery was maxed out on their land package or their land position. So they could not acquire any additional ground within that same prospective geological belt. And that for us uh, represented the opportunity. We were able to stake right up against their concession boundary along about a 40 kilometer strike. We picked up about 10,000 hectares at that time. And again, what we saw there was very, you know, high level, you know, helicopter view was it was the right geological environment. It had never had so much as a grab sample done at the time. So it was very, very early stage land package. Uh, but we saw the right characteristics and knew that it was potential there to find some of the same sorts of mineralization as had been identified by gold. So had you, had you worked in the country before? We had not. Prior to that, we had not worked in the country. We, uh, we were, we, at the time, the company had uh, very recently listed um, on Yukon and, and British Columbia uh, assets that were very early stage. But um, through uh, an associate that we had who was resident in the Dominican Republic uh, at the time, uh, we were able to sort of uh, jump to the front of the queue, if you will, and, and get that ground staked um, ahead of anybody else. And suddenly we were positioned in the DR. And, and so what is that property today? I mean, is there any, are we able to monetize it? Has any book value today to you? Yeah, so we've had uh, varying degrees of work that's been done there. In fact, we've had quite a bit of uh, sort of property-wide work. Again, in the lean years from 2012 to today, there were quite a few of them. Uh, where access to capital was challenging and, and uh, you know, being able to advance projects was tough. What we did was we did a lot of just, you know, good old fashioned boots on the ground ge geological and exploration work. So we did an extensive amount of soil and rock sampling throughout the property package to delineate areas of interest. We then ran geophysics, which was a real uh, tool for GoldQuest in their discovery because there's not a lot of outcrop in that particular belt. And so really geophysics, seeing what was happening below the surface was really critical. So we did quite an extensive amount of geophysics on the project. And then in 2014 and 16, we, we did a couple of rounds of drilling where we had, again, we had a discovery in 2014 uh, at an area that we call Ginger Ridge within our Wanda Herrera package. And then uh, subsequently delineated several other, what I would call high priority targets where we're seeing that correlation of geology, geochemistry and geophysics all sort of lining up in, in quite significant uh, areas. So it's a property that uh, has a great number of, of targets delineated within it. Uh, we've actually got drill permits for up to 100 different drill pads on that uh, project. Uh, but it's an area that we've sort of, you know, as a bit of a sidebar here, we've taken a little bit of a break from that area because in the last several years, GoldQuest has been in a, a bit of a, a holding pattern while they're awaiting an exploitation permit. And so while they've been waiting for that permit, you know, the view from the market was, you know, create a little uncertainty geopolitically and politically. So what we wanted to see was, look, let's not continue to spend money in a specific area of the country where the guys who've already found gold are having, you know, having a bit of a bureaucratic problem getting it out. And so we thought, you know, better opportunity was to go to another part of the country where, uh, where mining is a little bit more uh, known. Right. But, so Wanda Herrera, 
remains there as a as a as a follow up project for us, and and we're starting to see some daylight there in, in the last couple of months. Okay, but just, let's just kind of stay with Juan uh, Herrera because I just want to be able to park it right. Um, so, what is the and it comes back to business plan, business strategy, etc. So. What were you thinking there? Were you thinking, hey, if we kind of work this up enough, we might be able to flip it um, to like GoldQuest or someone else? I mean, because it comes back to the way you described yourself at the beginning. You know, you were a kind of, ex- well, it's exploration um, would be, well, how would you describe yourself actually? What we're trying to do, and this speaks to what I think where you're, where you're, where you're going with the question, is what we're trying to do is to be uh, sort of an early exploration-focused uh, company that can identify mineralization that we know the mid-tier and the majors want. So we're not necessarily looking to become the next junior miner. I think what we're looking for is to make a discovery that would be attractive to a mid-tier or major company. So is that a project generator by, by another name? No, not really. I mean, I, I think a project generator would be more of inclined to sort of identify projects quite early on and before spending much or any of their own money, try to find a partner in a joint venture or something like that. I think for us, we're a little bit more swing for the fences, you know, uh, try to hit the home run uh, on the discovery end of things. And so we're more inclined to acquire projects and, and spend our own money to try to make a significant discovery and get that market reward. Not unlike we saw with GoldQuest when they made you know, a, an announcement of a drill discovery, share price goes. Okay, so how, so how do you monetize Wanda Herrera then? Yeah, so Wanda Herrera has, I mean, there's, there's lots of potential there. I mean, at the time that we were, we were more active there, GoldQuest was, uh, you know, several hundred million market cap company and advancing toward uh, development and production. Uh, along the way, and this is where I think things get interesting for us, um, Agnico Eagle came in and put about $24 million into GoldQuest in an equity financing. This is going back maybe two or three years ago now. Um, and the view there was that Agnico was seeing, uh, you know, a, well, at the time, I think it was about a two and a half, three million ounce deposit uh, in a, in a 43101 compliant resource that GoldQuest had, had advanced. And it was moving toward, as I said, that exploitation permit. And I think Agnico saw that as a potential uh, position where they wanted to be in to, as a, perhaps as a possible joint venture or takeover. So we started to see our ground as an important or integral part of that total regional land package. And so if a major were to come in and say to GoldQuest, thank you very much, we see multi-million ounce deposit here and we think that there's exploration potential for more, we would see Wander Herrera as being a, an integral part of that sort of uh, Got it. You know, ongoing Got it. So let's come. Let's deal with one of the other things you just talked about. There was they are having problems with around their exploitation licenses. So they 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 know what they've got on the ground, or they know partially what they've got on the ground, but they can't get it out of the ground. Is therefore is that a common throughout the Dominican Republic, or is that just regional or state led? Yeah, it's it's a good question, and I think it's. Part of the reason why we're we're still there and and committed to the Dominican Republic is we do think that it's a very specific issue. Um, it's it's quite political in this particular case. So, uh, at, you know, at the at the at the base of it all, this Romero project of GoldQuest and and our Juan Herrera are in er- an area of the country that is not. Uh, does not have existing mining operations. So you're, you're, you're talking about sort of breaking new ground when you're talking about going into an area that doesn't have a history of mining and talking about uh, construction of a mine. And, and I, don't, I don't care whether you're building a pipeline in Canada 
or, or a mine in, in parts of, of the Dominican Republic, you're going to have to go through the necessary CSR and, and politics in order to get it done. And I think that what we're seeing with GoldQuest is, is working its way through that, that issue. Uh, it's a largely agricultural part of the country. So again, it's, it's an area where you know, the locals uh, haven't really had any direct contact with mining in the past, but I think there's an opportunity here to bring about you know, some quite important economic growth and gain in an area that's otherwise pretty impoverished. The other part of it is, uh, I mean, it gets really quite political. The, the president of the country is actually from that part of uh, the Dominican Republic. And the GoldQuest permit has gone through the mining department, check box, the mines ministry, check the boxes. And then, it, you know, the process in the DR is it lands then on the president's desk. And he has been trying to run for re-election uh, over the course of the last several years and trying to remain as popular as possible uh, in order to uh, improve his odds of being re-elected. Well, in the last six months or so, he's uh, decided not to run. And so I think that that political conflict of a president who comes from that community that's largely an agricultural community, and there may be some pushback while he's trying to remain as popular as possible, didn't want to sign anything that might be a, you know, a contentious issue with, um, with the country. And so I think what we're going to see here is there's an election due this summer. Uh, there'll be a new president put in place who, um, you know, looking at the candidates that are there now, no one is from that community or has any direct ties to that community. And I think what they'll do is they'll come into power and they'll say, first of all, you know, there's an opportunity here to increase the economic buoyancy of this part of the country. We can generate jobs, we can generate taxes. And I think equally importantly right now is that the country is so heavily reliant upon tourism that I th and, and, and the COVID issues that we're dealing with now, I think you're going to see a government that's going to look at mining as a lifeline coming out of uh, this COVID issue. And I think mining and that Romero project of GoldQuest has a very good opportunity. To yeah, we, yeah, we, we, and that whole yeah, we hear that a lot. We hear that a lot. Uh, you know, that, that, that's the hope. And you're, you're talking very specifically and at length with regards to what's happening at national level. But these surely come down to ESG type uh, activities at a local level. You've got to win over the locals. So do you, do you think that that was a big part of what GoldQuest had failed to do? And for that matter, I don't know how active Agnico, Agnico Eagle were as part of that. Because um, we, we, again, when we're talking about you know, South, South American countries and um, places like Ecuador and so forth, these, these are very important social uh, measures that need to be considered at a local level, you know, even despite what the state says, the federal government says. Yeah, no, and I think in this case, we've been fortunate in that, you know, we haven't seen, uh, in, certainly for the sake of GoldQuest or even for ourselves, we, we don't see the sorts of things where you see, you know, uh, blockades across the roads or protests in the street. It really hasn't been so much of a, of a community sort of uproar. It really has been this very political issue where, you know, this 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 permit sort of due to the processes that there are in the DR, it lands on the president's desk. I mean, the president really doesn't have any uh, greater level of knowledge than the mines department and the mines ministry who have all already signed off on it. But again, when it lands on his desk, it just becomes this political um, symbolic sort of issue where he signs it or he doesn't. And I think, you know, we're we're not seeing. Uh, people in the local communities uh, opposed to this to, to any grand extent. And quite frankly, when, when we started to sort of slow down our operations there and move to another part of the country, 
not surprisingly, you know, we were inundated with locals who were, were asking when we were coming back because, you know, they enjoyed the, the work and, and the income that even at a low level with the kind of work that we were doing, which is getting guys in the field and taking samples and, you know, okay. um, you know, that kind of thing, cutting pathways and things like that. Okay. So the locals seem to be very on site. That's good news. And so that is a holding pattern for you. So the original question was, are you assigning any value to that today? You're whatever, a 15 million market cap Canadian dollar market cap company. Are you signing any value to Juan de Herrera or is that something that you'll be able to monetize or at least create some value for later down the line once this yeah. situation of gold quest is cleared up? I think that we have not garnered much in the way of value from it over the course of the last couple of years because of this sort of political uh, or regional uncertainty. Um, I think that it is starting to, we are starting to see some recognition for the, the targets that we delineated there. So I think very little value, having said that. And, you know, at the time that we shifted from that project to, to other assets in the country, um, we did so because we, we, we really weren't getting much value yeah. for that. And as a junior exploration company, you've got to move forward and add value for your shareholders. Absolutely. Name, name of the game. Name of the game. So let's move on to that. So thanks for dealing with that. I think we can park that now. So uh, Pueblo Grande. You've struck a deal with Barrick. Um, do you want to tell the, tell the guys and gals what that deal structure looks like? Sure. So we signed a deal in mid-April, late April with Barrick, whereby Barrick has agreed to an earn-in agreement. It's not a joint venture. It's an earn-in agreement whereby uh, Barrick has committed to spend $10 million US, uh, which is nearly $14 million Canadian right now, mm. um, over six years. Um, to bring the project to a pre-feasibility stage. Um, in doing so, if they do that over the course of six years, they spend 10 million US and get, a, get us a pre-feasibility or the project pre-feasibility stage, they'll earn a 70% interest in the project. Um, we're quite happy with that deal in terms of those dollar figures because A, dollars go a long way in the Dominican Republic. So to spend $10 million US in six years is no small task. But I think more importantly, Often in a case like this where a major company comes in, there will be some uh, clause in the agreement whereby they can spend sort of a partial spend to get to 51%. And then the major company kind of has control. They have the hammer and maybe things take longer than they should and they, they can sort of decide whether they want to increase that position. We, we fought hard to ensure that this was sort of an all or nothing deal with Eric. And so look, if you want to earn an interest in this project, you've got to be serious. You've got to spend a significant amount of money, do a significant amount of drilling. And more importantly, you know, get this to a pre-feasibility stage to earn that 70%. So they earn nothing until they've committed uh, those dollars and, uh, and delivered that spend. And the other part that I was really pleased with on, in this agreement is, again, often the major says, okay, great, we will we'll produce a pre-feasibility and we will Cadillac and Rolls-Royce this, this report uh, to death so that the capital cost is enormous and your 30% precipitate is going to be impossible for you to, to come up with. The terms of this agreement uh, call for Barrick to arrange our 30% of the project financing. And so again, that allows us not to be unduly uh, diluted out of the agreement or out of the deal uh, if there's some success here. So we think it's a, we think it's a good deal for, for us. This is a big property package, lots of targets, and uh, you know to see the kinds of dollars that they've committed to spend, you know, tells should tell the market. Certainly told me that look, this is a this is a big area that's going to require a lot of work and a big budget, and uh, that's the kind of thing that major companies uh, are better at, you know, and have the capacity for more so than we do. I, I liked the way you structured it. I liked I liked a lot about the way you structured it. I was surprised that you didn't increase the minimum 
number of meters to be drilled. I mean, so it was seven seven thousand five hundred meters. Why 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 do you end up on that number? Yeah, well, I, I can speak to that. We tried to push harder with Barrick on a, on a couple of different fronts. Um, ultimately, what they said to us, and I and I and I, could, I agree, is that you know, look, Jeff, the reality here is we cannot get to a pre-feasibility stage by drilling seven hundred. 7,500 meters of drilling. We will drill tens of thousands of meters of drilling in order to get to that preview. So to, to some extent, the dollar amount, the minimum drill uh, commitment are sort of, I don't want to say they're fluff, but you know, at the end of the day, what, what people really need to focus in on is they've got to produce a pre-feasibility study. And if anybody knows the kind of work and time and effort that goes into a pre-fees, they'll know Eric is going to, to do a significant amount of drilling and spend a significant amount of money, perhaps more than the 10 million minimum, um, in order to deliver that pre-fees. So help people understand here how you go about constructing a deal like that. So you talk about a minimum 10 million. It's a minimum. It's not, it's not 10 million, it's a minimum of 10 million. And they'll work out whether it needs to be 10, 15, or 20. And they'll work out whether it needs to be 7,500 meters or 17,500 meters, right? But how does it affect your... 30% interest, just presuming they do the full six-year term. How does it affect it? Well, basically, they spend that money, they earn their 70%, we have 30. Um, we don't have to contribute any finances along the way to, to that spend. And whether they spend more doesn't generate them any more interest. What, what yeah. they can do is they can expedite their expenditures. So if they wanted to spend all $10 million tomorrow, um, yeah. they can do that. Um, and... Um, and that would get them their their seventy percent interest sooner. But you know they've they've got to commit to spending that that money, and more importantly, delivering a pre fees. And a pre fees cannot be done overnight. Right. Now, I, I I understand that, but it's it's a, it's a great deal for you if they end up spending twenty million, and they know a lot more about this because they've yeah, got well, a lot more data what, to work with, right? So I just wondered if yes. if that affected in any way the, the terms of your agreement with them. No, I mean, there's a, there's a minimum spend. Um, again, due to due to COVID, we altered the, the 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 terms a little bit midway through negotiations. So originally, we were going to uh, we were going to have a one million dollar minimum expenditure in year one. Um, as we got closer to signing the definitive, we we agreed that look, year one is a great uncertainty with respect to COVID and when people will actually be able to get on the ground and do work. So we pushed that and we combined year one and year two. Mm -hmm into a minimum $2 million in the first two years. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I think to spend $2 million in the first two years here is a significant spend. Again, that's that's US dollars. So for us, we talk often at, in, in, here in Vancouver about Canadian dollars and what we would spend, what we would raise is all in Canadian currency. Um, you know, you're talking about a, a significant budget here at $2 million over two years. The other thing is Barrick is, is you know, right there. So Barrick's uh, Pueblo Viejo mining operation is in sort of the core of this region. And so they have a, not only do they have a great understanding, I think, and perhaps even better than our own, of the geology of this region, their expenditures are going to be, uh, it's going to be tough for them to spend that money because they're already there. They've got personnel there. They've got equipment there. Um, and so, you know, when you're basically, you know, exploring next door, it's it's not as expensive or you don't go through as much money as if you're flying people in from one part of the world to another to work a brand new project. So, um, we're, yeah, we're, we're quite excited about the, the, what we've been able to structure here. And I think it puts their feet to the fire a little bit here to, to, to be serious. And not the least of which is, I think, again, 
uh, people, there are people who say, well, you bring in a major and they're going to act slowly and they're going to take their time and you're not going to have any news flow. And, and, and that's fine. Um, we've, we've, we've brought in some language in the agreement whereby they've got to give us quarterly reports and they've got to give us any um, uh, notice and, and reports on any proposed programs, that sort of thing. But I think most importantly here is the one thing that Mark Bristow at Barrick has stated in a number of different press releases is that some of their um, best exploration work over the last few years has been from Brownfield's work surrounding their current operations. And so they see, I think, great opportunity to replenish their supply in and around some of their tier one assets by exploring around those assets. And um, I guess to get to my point, I think that it's highly unlikely that Barrick will leave any stone unturned here in this property package and try to just, you know, sort of uh, take a close, ah, well, we spent a million bucks, we don't see what we like, we're going to walk. Because if somebody else finds something in, in the ground surrounding one of their top assets that they passed on or overlooked, they would certainly have a little bit of egg on their face. So I think that they're going to do a systematic and, and full um, exploration uh, sort of project over over this entire program. Just remind people about the, the size and scale of the barrack operation. They've got Pueblo of Viejo next, to, well, close by. So it's a, it is a sizable operation, as you say, but just for people again new to this, give people a sense of the size. Of the operation. Yeah, so Pebble Viejo, Barrick's operation, is I, I, it's got to be one of the top five mining operations in the world, depending on how you, uh, you calculate it. It's certainly one of the biggest in Latin America. It's, uh, it, it, Barrick has sunk about $4.5 billion into infrastructure there. Uh, they're proposing to spend another billion uh, in, in expansion and growth in, in the coming years. Um, a couple of years ago, this this project was producing a million ounces a year uh, gold equivalent. It's now down around 600,000 ounces per year. Uh, it is world class uh, and certainly, like I say, one of one of Barrick's top uh, tier right. one assets. So it's a it's a monster. It's one of the it's the single largest economic driver in the Dominican Republic. So when you talk about taxes and and royalties and and how that contributes to the economy in the DR, it is number one above all else. And so Barrick and the Pablo Viejo uh, mining operation are essential and critical to the, to the country, the DR. So this is kind of counter to what we were saying about, you know, the Juan Herrera, although we parked that uh, in terms of politics and, and sort of the jurisdiction. Yes, you have a region or regions where maybe mining isn't as familiar to people, but there is no question that in the Dominican Republic, mining and that Pablo Viejo mining operation of Barrick's is paramount. Fantastic. They've spent $4.5 How much have you spent to date since you've been in country? <laughs> in country, I guess we've probably spent uh, under $5 million. I would say we've probably, in, in total, we've probably spent about maybe three, three to $4 million, somewhere in that range. Okay. Um, we haven't done as much drilling as, as, as we would have liked. And some of that was during some of those lean years where access to capital was difficult. We were doing more sort of grassroots uh, on the ground work. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, to see when you, when you compare that, comparatively speaking, what we've spent over the course of eight years compared to what Barrick is proposing to spend on this project in six years, it's, it's a compelling number. So you, your costs are low. I was just looking at the team, because um, there's one mixture of finance guys and geologists. So you're more from finance background. So right. who are the geologists on this? Who are the active? geologists on this who's the technical team telling you where to spend your money yeah so the, the the primary focus there the point man is michael moore and michael is the vice president of exploration for the company uh mike's um you know full-time committed 
you know, 100% to uh, to precipitate, and it's really he and I who are sort of the the, the management team, if you will. Um, most other uh, aspects of the business are sort of outsourced or contracted. Um, and so Mike's uh, Mike speaks Spanish. Um, you know, yes, as as we said at the beginning, we we hadn't been in the Dominican Republic specifically before, but Mike's worked in a lot of Latin American countries in the past. Uh, been a contract geologist working all over the world, and so he was. Um, or is uh, the, the person responsible for some of the initial discoveries that we had at our Wanda Herrera project. Again, as I said, this was a ground uh, a land package that hadn't seen so much as a grab sample when we got there. And we were very uh, easily, or quickly, sorry, uh, able to bring that to a discovery stage inside of a couple of years. And so credit to Mike on that. Uh, from the board level, um, we get a lot of input from our, our technical uh, geological team at the board level. Quinton Henning, Dr. Quinton Henning is, is a member of the board. Quinton is uh, quite well renowned uh, in the industry over the course of the last few years for some of his successes uh, and a number of other juniors that he's uh, now involved with, including Lion One and Noble Resources uh, and, and others. Um, so Quinton uh, provides for us a, a great technical expertise um, in terms of delineating targets and identifying where we want to be and where we don't. Um, another critical member of the technical team at a board level is Alistair Waddell. Now, Alistair. Interestingly enough, Alistair was an original member of the Gold Quest founding team. So he uh, he's a geologist, but he was part of the reason why Gold Quest entered into the Dominican Republic in the first place. Um, he left Gold Quest. He was the CEO of Gold Quest. He left Gold Quest and he was working in a senior position at Kinross for about six years, looking at projects all over the world, um, and then joined our board. Uh, I guess well, maybe four or five years ago. And uh, again, brings a great level of expertise with respect to the region, the country, the geology, what parts of the country uh, do we think are perspective. And again, in transitioning from Wanda Herrera to Pueblo Grande, uh, Alistair was uh, paramount in that. He was an advocate of, of this area that, yes, it was held by someone else at the time, uh, but he believed that it was perspective and that there were some targets there that he'd looked at years ago that hadn't really been tested properly. And he really pounded the table with me to go after acquiring the Pueblo Grande project. And we've seen how that's worked out over the course of the last uh, few months. Um, Adrian Fleming's a chairman. Adrian also is a geologist. Uh, Adrian um, cut his teeth with Placer, uh, was involved with a number of juniors here in Vancouver. Uh, some of the successes include Underworld, which again, follows the, the, the sort of the model that we're working on here, which is go in, identify a project, advance it to a point where the mid-tiers or the majors have to have it. Underworld was, was bought out by Kinross for about $140 million a few years ago. And then he was uh, a founding director of uh, Northern Empire, which has recently been bought out by Coor. So, um, you know, the team on the technical side are all you know, very savvy, experienced geologists. They also understand the junior sector. So it's one thing to, to have a bunch of really smart guys who have only worked for majors their whole lives, yeah. um, have a different understanding of budgets and, and, uh, and the capital markets. I think this team understands you know, um, the capital markets as well as anyone as well. And, and lastly, my, to mention him, Lon Shaver is a former investment banker, uh, was at Raymond James for about 10 years, uh, is now vice president over at Silvercorp and someone I'd worked with many years ago uh, in, in, in the mining sector and just brings a great sort of capital markets and deal structuring right. capacity to the okay. so, but it's but it's so those are people you can rely on but it's Michael Moore and yourself are they kind of full-time guys on this is that right because everyone else yeah. is sitting on various boards there right they, they've got a lot of different things going on but it's you and Michael driving this yep correct 
Yeah, and we've we've got some advisory people in the Dominican Republic. I think one one interesting note is a gentleman by the name of Mexico Angeles Lithgow is a Dominican national, uh, resident in Santo Domingo. Um, he's joined us as an advisor to the board, but uh, Mexico was the previous president and executive director of Barracks Pueblo Viejo Mining Operations. Yeah. So this is a guy who very well connected in the business and political uh, world in the DR and gives us really good guidance. Fantastic. Not only about the area that we're working, but certainly in-country uh, knowledge and expertise. Fantastic. So how, how many shares are you and Michael sitting on? I mean, have you invested a lot of time and effort? You've been here a long time. This is your only gig, is that right? Or have you got other projects? I'm involved as a, as a director of other of one other company or two other companies, but I'm I'm this is my my primary focus. This is your primary focus. So how much have you invested into this company? In terms of dollars, it's difficult to say, but uh, you know, I'm uh, between my wife and I. I think we're sitting on about two million shares. Um, Michael, I think, is in a similar uh, position. I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think between he and his and his wife. I mean, I am not a founder of the company. Interestingly enough, I was I was approached by the founders of the company at the onset, and uh, as I mentioned. Uh, Previously, we the company was established with projects in Northern British Columbia and the Yukon, and, and at the time the company was getting ready to go public and, and uh, seed stock, etc., was being doled out. I just I, I I passed on the opportunity. They they approached me to come in and run the company, and I and I, and I decided to stick with what I was doing. When they acquired the, the project in the DR next to GoldQuest, that you know that that caught my attention. And interestingly enough, or coincidentally enough, they came back to me at that time and said, "Look, it's not working out with the person that we've brought on as president. Would you reconsider?" And so that was when I entered into the fold. And at that time, the stock was north of twenty cents. Uh, but the first thing I said was, "Look, if I'm going to run a company, I don't want to do this for a paycheck. You know, I've got to have a vested interest in this. So you know, the founders and the company are going to need to make." You know, at least a, a million dollar starting position available to me, and so I, uh, I acquired that position uh, as I took the, the, the role of president and CEO back in late 2012, early 2013. And so, uh, you know, I can say that I've got a, you know, and I've participated in every financing since. Uh, you know, been buying, I bought here and there in the market, um, but I can say that my average cost is is probably somewhere higher than where the stock is trading today. So I'm, I'm motivated. Uh, you know, I've got skin in the game. And I think that for me, the upside of this is, is certainly not a paycheck. It's, it's the equity position that I have. And uh, I think that, that keeps us aligned with shareholders to try to do what's best for everybody involved. Always. Always aligned with shareholders. Got to be, right? Um, yeah. So uh, let, let's talk about your third project. Ponton, I don't know how to pronounce it. How do yep. you pronounce it? In yep, no, that's it, Ponton. Yep. Ponton, there you go, like a native. Um, that's obviously <laughs> very early stage, uh, but it's the, it's yep. the next early stage exploration uh, project that you're looking at. What are you hoping to try to do with that? Is it replicate what you've been able to do with um, Pueblo Grande? Or have you got other plans? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I, I mean, I do I do like to mention that I think that what happened with Pueblo Grande, I think, is a, is a validation of what we are setting out to do, which is to find early stage assets or projects that have the right characteristics to, to host meaningful mineralization and try to advance them to the point where they can be attractive to majors. You know, worked out very well in the case of Pueblo Grande inside of about 18 to 24 months. We took a twenty five thousand dollar acquisition. Uh, and spent about $300,000 in our own work. 
and 18 months later did a $10 million plus deal with, with Barrick. Ponton, interestingly enough, as we got fairly advanced in our negotiations with Barrick about Pueblo Grande, and, and for those who don't know, Ponton is a satellite. It's, it's about 25 kilometers removed to the east from the Pueblo Grande land, land package. And Pueblo Grande sits right up against the claim boundary of Barrick. Ponton does not. It's a little bit removed. But it's in the same geological terrain uh, that cuts across the country. When we were sort of advanced in our negotiations with Barrick, interestingly enough, they said, okay, you know, we kind of had a bit of a gentleman's agreement about what the terms were going to be. They said, oh, by the way, we sort of forgot to mention, but we'd like to include that Ponton project in this, pro in this earn-in deal. And I went back to my geological team and I went back to Michael and I said, you know, what do you think about this? And he said, you know, absolutely not. We want to keep this. Um, it, I, can, I know why Barrick wants it. And uh, we should keep this because we are not a project generator. And so my, you know, you know, my MO is not to, to get up in the morning and hand off projects to other companies tomorrow. It's to try to, you know, find something that where we can make a discovery. And so we knew when we were doing the deal or finalizing the deal with Barrick, we had to have a, a, a next chapter for, for ourselves in terms of what we were going to spend our own capital and, and time on. And so Ponton immediately was that. Now, when we picked up Ponton at the time we acquired this land package, you know, look, the, the market, our shareholders, everybody was focused and affixed on the sort of the sex appeal of Pueblo Grande being next to one of the biggest mines in the world. And so that was sort of the driver for the value of the company. And so last December, Mike Michael Moore went down to the projects to sort of do a, a, a final target delineation for drilling. And they had some time one day and they drove over to Ponton as a bit of a let's just see what's going on over here. And he came back and he said to me in December of last year, I really like this Ponton project. I think we should spend a little more time there. I said, look, Mike, we need to stay focused on Pueblo Grande. That's where the, that, you know, that's the prize here right now. Let's not get distracted. But when we knew that, Pon that Pueblo Grande was going to go into the hands of Barrick, uh, we revisited that. And uh, we quickly realized that when we went through some of the data, not only, yes, it was early stage, but there actually were some targets here that uh, had been in our, in our mind overlooked uh, certainly by ourselves, but but also by prior operators. There has been some geophysical work done, some geochemical work done, and some prior drilling here. So it's it's early stage, and it's kind of the next leg for us in terms of what we intend to go after, but um, it's more advanced than a total greenfields prospect where we're trying to figure things out. What, what type of geophysics was done on it? There was magnetics done on, on the project and uh, IP. And where, where we see the opportunity here is that the, the target that's emerging for us now is a geo, geochemical target where there really hasn't been much uh, geophysics on this particular target. Uh, but it's a multi-element, you know, there's, there's gold and silver and copper and, and all the right sort of epithermal style mineralization elements uh, at surface in this fairly large, you know, a kilometer by two kilometer kind of target area. Um, but no geophysics over that. So that will be part of our first um, uh, phase of work here is to go in and do some follow-up ge geochem, but then run some lines of magnetics over that. It's called the Cope Hill is what we call the target area. And uh, we see that as being a, a relatively near-term uh, drillable target pot potentially in the next few months. Have you got enough cash? Yeah, so through the, one of the things we didn't mention about the Barrick transaction was along with the uh, earn-in commitment, there's also a uh, million dollars U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in a private placement, uh, which again amounted to about one, just under $1.4 million Canadian. So at the time we did the deal, we had a, about a million. So that put us, you know, right, right about now, we're probably about $2.3 million in the Treasury. 
all the properties are owned 100%. So we don't have underlying vendor obligations where we've got to make stage payments. We, we fulfilled all the uh, payment and, and acquisition obligations. We don't have work commitments where you got to spend $200,000 in year one or two. These things, the, our treasury is fully discretionary. Mm -hmm. And our GNA and our overhead, as we talked about, it's really just Michael Moore and I who are sort of the uh, hands on management of the company. And so, you know, uh, our GNA is pretty light. And so that $2.3 million, I think, will get us a long way. And, and perhaps one thing to, to note is earlier this year, we completed the acquisition of drilling equipment. And so why did you do yeah, that? It wasn't, yeah, it, it was not the plan. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm often did skeptical you win of junior companies who buy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get skeptical of junior companies that, that buy their own drilling equipment or run their own drilling equipment because it sometimes can be a cash drain because you're not a driller and you do things wrong and it just it, it, it becomes uh, problematic. In, in this case, we were about to go drilling or, or prepping up to go drilling at Pueblo Grande before the Barrick deal emerged. And we spoke to the drill contractors that we had used multiple times in the DR and they had equipment in the country uh, and discovered that they had gone bankrupt. And so we had a couple of different options. We go with a different contractor. Okay, there's nobody else in country. That would take time. That would cost more money. They'd have to figure things out. Okay, that's one plan. Or um you know we uh, look at how we get our hands on you know securing that equipment that was in country down the road you don't have to worry about clearing customs uh, and because it was all previous re very, very recently owned by another company all the crew and, and and the personnel were still there you know sort of desperately hoping to have jobs back and so we were able to go identify the receiver and you know i, I you know i don't know for sure what the numbers would be but let's say round numbers this was eight hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment it was up to five drill rigs man mobilized small drill rigs um we went to the receivers and we secured the entire um inventory for eighty thousand dollars wow what we did was to mitigate cost we engaged our friends at gold quest and came to an arrangement whereby we bought the stuff jointly so our out-of-pocket cost to get what is amount to about $800,000 worth of drill equipment is $40,000. And what we also did was we secured a couple of the uh, foremen and, and key personnel to, uh, to work with us on a contract basis. So again, we're not paying them every day all the time on, on salary. It's a, again, we'll pay them for the hours that they work. So what that gives us is that gives us a significantly reduced drill cost uh, per meter. We can get a lot more done with, with the treasury that we have. Um, and perhaps more importantly for me is whenever you engage a drill contractor, the clock starts the minute they show up. And so you're constantly trying to get a drill hole completed and get the drill remobilized to the next location as quickly as possible, sequentially, boom, 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 get the drill off the site as quick as you can be so the clock stops ticking. And then you send all your stuff to the lab and you see what you've got. And there's a lot of instances when that happens and you say, geez, I wish we would have known that while the drill was still here because we might have done the second hole or the third hole a little different. Mm. Because we own this rig or these rigs, we'll be able to do that. We'll be able to drill a hole or two, send everybody home, go see your, your you know, send the crew home to see their wives or and leave the drill there. And we're not paying for that downtime. And um, and to be able to scratch your head a little bit and, and think about you know what you're seeing that's coming okay. up in the drill bit. Why do you keep using the phrase? Why, why do you use the phrase up to five man portable drill rig? You, you said it, and it's also in your PowerPoint. What does that mean? Up to? Did you buy five or not? So five? it was a 
<laughs> yes, it, well, it was, it was a bit of a big uh, warehouse mess uh, when we acquired it. Um, so there were components and parts there sufficient to build five drill rigs. Excellent. Uh, some of that equipment was, was, was a little, a little um, uh, shoddy. And so what we decided to do was, so I, I clarified. You have that. spares. You have spares now. Right. I have spares. Got but it. what we decided to do instead was to sort of uh, uh, high, uh, you know, high grade, if you will, one quality rig. I mean, at, at present, we only need one rig. Uh, and uh, when we're finished and GoldQuest needs a rig, there's a rig there. So there's the capacity to, to you know, with a little additional capital, we could, you know, improve and get a second or a third rig operational. But what we elected to do was let's, let's get one fully functional one. sort of yeah. top of the class. And, uh, and that's what we've done. So yeah, that's the clarification on, on that. Got it. Nice little project. I mean, I, I think Dominican Republic's a great, great place. Um, highly perspective, some big names there already. And team getting, getting to uh, an earning agreement with Barrick. I mean, well done. Congratulations. I hope that works out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's nice for us to have, you know, a project advancing on somebody else's dime and, um, and, you know, I think has that potential to be a real prize, even at a 30%, you know, remaining interest. If, if it's something significant enough for Barrick in that neighborhood, you know, I think that our, our 30% will be, will be certainly uh, value add. Uh, and, and while that's happening, the ability to deploy, you know, this capital that we've, that we've got now. On, on projects that I think uh, are highly prospective, perhaps have you know better geological targets than even the, the Pebble Grande, uh, but maybe just don't have the sex appeal of the of the location. But um, and so we're excited as as we start to feel like we're entering back into a into a gold market here to be able to go after some highly prospective targets and have the the technical expertise and and, and the capital to, to go do them well. Do you think your company has the sex appeal to attract new investors? I mean, what, what, what do you think they should be buying into? Yeah, it's been an interesting, it's been a little bit of a transition over the last couple of months since announcing the, the transaction. Uh, admittedly, some people, you know, were fully in for the swing for the fences, step up to the plate and try to hit a home run and drill Pablo Grande, Grande ourselves. Um, and so when we announced the deal, not surprisingly, there was a bit of a transition, but certainly there were a, a, a greater number of people in my opinion, and that you can see that in, in the forward movement of the share price at the time or subsequent to the announcement. I think there were more people that saw value in, in the validation that comes with a company like Barrick, uh, you know, sort of giving the stamp of approval on, on what you've identified, and um, and 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 I think allows for that investor base to say, okay, if you've identified something that that's attractive to Barrick before, and here are the projects that you think are worth keeping yourselves, we're you know we, we're interested in getting behind that and supporting uh, the first phases of work on that. So you think you can replicate that? With from what I'm hearing today, you, you think you can potentially replicate uh, Pueblo Grande at Ponton for Barrick? Obviously, it's the nat the natural player, um, given what they know about the region. If you can do that, do you think the market gets excited? And then and then, and then what? Yeah, I, I mean, I do think. I mean, to say that we can replicate it, I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I don't have the capacity to see you know the future and what's going to happen. But I think that you know we were. Um, you know, we based our decision on keeping that project for ourselves on the merit of the geological potential. So we think there is a target at Ponton that is untested, uh, has all the right sort of earmarks for what could be 
uh, epithermal, sizable epithermal style mineralization. So we, that's, that's kind of our company MO is to go after these things. It would be a very inexpensive, relatively inexpensive um, exercise to go, get that drill ready and drilled. Um, and so, and yes, and Barrick has without question over the course of the last 12 months or so shown a renewed, a really strong renewal of interest in exploration and growth. I think you see that in the deal that, that we've struck with them. But again, they've also picked up some relatively small but claim blocks elsewhere in that same geological belt, not far from Ponton in some cases. So again, I think that some finding something that that, uh, that resonates with them, I don't think it's out of the question that they would come back and, and want to uh, to have a conversation about that. And then similarly, you know, at Arwanda Herrera, and a great number of very advanced targets there, geochemical work, geophysical work, uh, sampling, mapping, all have been done. Uh, permits in place in, on that project on a lot of the targets themselves. And so at such time as we feel as if the return on investment and in going back into that part of the country is, is justified uh, and that there's clarity and transparency, uh, again, I think there's a, a number of targets there that we could get up and running and testing in, uh, in a short amount of time. Perfect. Jeff, great summary. Stay in touch with us. Let us know how you get on with some of these things. And I know you've been quite careful with the money and uh, courses about how you move forward, but um, we would be delighted to get any updates as and when you get them, okay? Great. Well, thanks a lot for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.